Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Awake and Agile. We've got an awesome episode lined up for you this morning. Michelle Holzman will be joining us and we're going to ask her a bunch of questions about her career uh, and what motivates teams and what you can do to add something special in the mix. So, buckle up, everyone. Here we go. We're up and running. Good morning, Adam, and good morning, Michelle. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Jordan? I'm good. How are you? That's good. Who do I I'm direct well. this to? Yeah, Adam, and then how are you, Michelle? <laughs> You're like, there's too many people. I'm not sure how to do this. Yeah. Yeah, we're not used to interviewing people. I love it. Always good to challenge yourself and do something new. Yeah. Well, um, Michelle, so excited to have you on. Um, we'll get through all the learning about you, introduction, and open it up for all of the great things that you have written that we'd love to discuss about. But first, we've got a check-in question. And what was the check-in question again? What do you do in your spare time? Ah, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do in my spare time? Um, mostly creative pursuits. I've I've got a tendency where I think having balance is really important. And I kept falling into roles that were very structured and very intellectual. So in my spare time, you'll usually find me baking or on the pottery wheel or um, painting. Yeah. How about you guys? Awesome. Jordan, do you want to go first? Uh, yes. Uh, so Adam and I are challenged to find a new thing that, well, something that the audience probably doesn't know uh, that we do in our spare time. And I and I like to resell things on Facebook Marketplace. That is awesome. I love to go to garage sales on the weekend and find tools and baby items um, because I know baby items now because I've got a kid. Generally tools and baby items, sometimes electronics, and, uh, and I sell them on the Facebook Marketplace. And because I've got a shed, I just like to think of it like I've got time and storage when other people don't, and that's what I'm going to capitalize on. So <laughs> I like it. Um, I'm enjoying it. Cool. Uh, so my thing that I haven't talked about before is there's a there's an old uh, uniting church building in our area. Uh, it was built in 1877, and there's a group of us in the local area trying to save it from being knocked down to be redeveloped. It is in a pretty poor condition. Needs a lot of money to restore it, but we're in the process of uh, taking or, or being gifted that back to the community so that we can re-fix it up and turn it into a community centre, community house, um, and a bit of a historical uh, museum for the area, which is uh, which is going to be fun. That's amazing. Mm. It's a long, drawn-out process. Uh, originally, the, local, uh, the locals uh, built it and gifted it to the church. We're hoping that the church will gift it back Back to the community. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Um, yeah, it's almost out of the line. So yeah, it's um, yeah. Then then we need uh, lots of benefactors to to help restore it. <laughs> Forgive me, I was laughing earlier because I was talking about capitalising on storage and time and reselling things while you're like doing something <laughs> <Altruistic>. amazing <laughs> for the community, <laughs> selfless and 
uh, for other people, and it's it's very it's very nice and refreshing to hear. Mm. Can anyone? Is there anything any way people can help or get involved? Is it uh, not not right now? If you know, we're we're in the process of. Uh, uh, formalizing the the organization and directors and you know getting it formalized legally <laughs> so yeah uh, when that happens yeah we can we'll start doing fundraisers and mm. sausage sizzles and that kind of thing to to you know raise some money be like back to the future change uh save the clock tower save the clock tower yes yeah yeah so w- we should probably let everyone know why michelle's here and what <laughs> What we've invited it for. Yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed. We we just You're carried on like bored. it was Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we thought, well, we need some yeah, we need some smart people on on the episode instead of just Adam and I. And yeah. no. Um so Michelle and I have been working together for uh, four months, I think. And I don't know if you know this, Adam, but Michelle's actually helped me heaps in my scrum mastery um in the team, just in terms of servant leadership, in terms of organizing facilitating meetings setting the scene really um uh asking the why behind what we're doing and um Mm. yeah and and really kind of um creating a great environment for the team for team health so yeah maybe less of the mechanics but more of the the people um michelle has been a huge help in our team and just talking to michelle getting advice or um or just having random conversations the way your mind thinks, Michelle, and also some of the things that you've written, I thought, we've got to have you on the episode um, because we can learn something from you. So, that's why you're here today. That is very, very kind of you to say. <laughs> no worries. It's true. Cool. All right. So, what I was thinking was we'll get you to tell us a bit, a bit about yourself and then we'll go into your role, your career history, uh, how it's been in, I suppose, in an agile environment or not an agile environment. And then I'd love to get into the crux of your articles as well. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. Beautiful. Adam, do you have any initial questions for Michelle to get to know oh, her? J- just just the, the initial history one. Uh, how did you get into your... How did you get into what you're, what you're doing now? What What is, tell us a bit of the history of Michelle. Yeah, so I am someone that has not followed a straight trajectory at all. Um, once upon a time, I was actually a lawyer, but I love a lot of variety and I hated doing the same thing over and over and I missed having the interactions. So, I used to be like a, a tutor and a lecturer and I loved it. Hmm. Uh, so, teaching's always been very entrenched in just who I am. And then I got into the workforce and found that the thing I was fascinated by was the the psychology side of business. So, how groups worked, um, what makes a good leader. Yeah, just anything, anything to do with that. And so, I found that I kept carving into every random role that I was doing something related to change. Um, whether that was rolling out a new piece of technology or getting people on board with trying to promote some charity initiative or behaviours around being more environmentally sustainable. Um, so, really, really random mix. And so, I kind of got to the point where I went, all right, well, the, the intersection between psychology and business uh, for the most part is change. So, change management became an area that I went, all right, this, this could actually be something. And then I think I'm, I'm also one of those people that likes to play 
And I'm also someone that ironically resists change, which I think is actually true of most people in their careers, where the thing that you pursue is something that you're trying to fix or something that you're trying to get a hand on yourself. So I kind of, I always walked into roles and I was like, look, if I can pursue myself, if I can persuade myself to do this, then I can teach other people and I can overcome the resistance and I can understand why they're resisting it. And if I can find ways to make it more engaging and more fun, then I can overcome those those resistance triggers and I can uh, help people to embrace change. So the psychology behind the change and the group dynamics and the leadership um, was probably, I guess, the path that I've been walking for the past few years. And then I decided that I needed to actually take it seriously. So I packed up my life, left my job, moved to London, uh, did a master's in behavioral science, which is not really commonly known here. And that was kind of the, the intersection between psychology and economics. And so my approach to change is a bit different to most people, but it's given me a, a range of tools that I don't think I'd have come across otherwise. Uh, so, yeah, so it was in London, came back, and now I'm here. Wow. That's, that's a, there's a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Told you it wasn't a straight line. Yeah. Yeah. What, what triggered for me then was you getting, to, uh, getting into the thing that you want to fix the most. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. I wonder if um, Scrum Masters get into Scrum Mastery because... They like fixing teams. It's an interesting idea. I think, so I actually had a conversation with Jordan a couple of days ago. We were talking about passion and why we do the things that we do. Mm. And another area that I find really interesting is what motivates us. So if it's intrinsic or extrinsic. And the thing that kind of came up for both of us was, oh, actually, you know what, Jordan, I'm throwing it to you. What, what did you say was the reason that you do what you do? Oh dear! I hope I'm, I hope I get this right. <laughs> uh, off the top of my head, it's to help people. Yeah, yeah. So depending on the person, you'll find some that are motivated by money, some want flexibility so that they can go home and spend time with their kids. Um, but the mm. people that don't go to work for any of the external drivers are usually driven by something that's deep in themselves, and it's either something that they're so overwhelmed with that they love and they want to desperately share or it's something that they go this is a problem i can't tolerate anymore mm. and i think i've i've seen so many toxic cultures and i've seen so many change initiatives done in terrible ways that i went i i want to be able to go to work and enjoy what i'm doing and i want other people to have that too mm. that's awesome that's awesome jordan did you have any I've got heaps and heaps of questions, but I want to no, give you a go. I, I know Michelle better than you, so you go. Let me be, let me go on the sidelines. I'll shut up for this episode. Okay. okay. You, you you did mention uh, you you explored a little bit about what makes a good leader. Yep. What what do you think makes a good leader? So I actually think that a good leader that, that what defines a good leader will depend on the environment. And I say that because probably one of the biggest takeaways I took from the masters was that context and environment is huge. And it's something that I kind of knew, but it became really obvious. The, the buzzwords that are flying around at the moment are all about vulnerability and being authentic. And I think as fundamentals, they are absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not going to be yourself, you can't expect anyone around you to feel comfortable to be themselves or to voice their concerns because there's not going to be that psychological safety. 
Um, so I think, I think there's core things like that. And then if you can be authentic, then who you are as a person will fit different situations. So I know for myself that because I like, I live for the light bulb moments in teaching where everyone sits there and goes, I don't know how to do this. This is like the end of me. And then there's that realization of like, ah, actually I get it now. So, for me, it's more of a, a nurturing kind of leadership. So, I work really well where a team is probably newer or finding their feet and needs that hand-holding or that cheerleading. Whereas, I know other situations where if you went into a really high-intensity, high-stress, potentially toxic environment, then you want a leader that's going to walk in and go, right, here's the framework, here's the structure, let's counter the uncertainty and let's get our heads back above water. Yeah. We, we saw an example of that during during COVID where uh, I, th- I think the, the the larger businesses, the larger companies who, you know, were in a crisis and the leader just took control yeah. and said, go, this is what we're doing. Bear, you know, kind of bear with us. We think we're, we're in a good position. We need to almost, you know, crisis mode fared a lot better than some of the other companies that that, that didn't. And it was really interesting seeing the switch, and now we're seeing them switch back again into, into you know, other modes. Autopilot. Of yeah, autopilot. Yeah, autopilot. That's a good way of putting it. Good way of putting it. <laughs> I think we've touched on a bit. What what gets you out of bed in the morning? What what brings you joy? Like I said, I think the light bulb moment when I get to teach is one of my favourite things. Yeah, I like I like being able to help people feel like they can manage things, like they're not overwhelmed. Uh, so that's that ability to to help is one of the things uh another which funnily enough has taken me a long time to find is the people that i can just bounce ideas off and get excited and just be me um i think finding that community is really really important because it then just reaffirms that you can be you and it's okay to be a little different because we all are um and I think, I think authenticity in the workplace is a really big challenge for that reason because, like I said, you look at me outside of work and I'm quite different to who I am in an office because that's just how I learned to be. Yeah. Um, I'd walk in and I'd put my corporate mask on and that was it. It was, okay, I'm in charge and I can run this and that's fine. Mm. But I think that's why I love training because then I'll come up with crazy scenarios and I'll run around the room and I'll push people out of their comfort zones but we'll have fun doing it. Mm. Um, mm. So, they're, they're two things that I absolutely love. And then outside of that, I just, I'm very much someone that needs nature to recharge. So, if I get the chance, I'm out in the park or down at the beach. <laughs> nice. So, a, th- a thoughts per- experiment I'd like to try. Sure. If, if I may. So, we, we've, you've talked a little bit about some some might call them, you know, soft skills of, of, of leadership and that kind of, that kind of thing, you know, empathy and and those type of things. I, I have a hypothesis that I'm running in my mind at the moment, mm-hmm. and it's about it relates a little bit to psych- psychological safety. And I'm, I'm thinking, so a scrum master part of their role is to build trust in the, in the team and uh, you know build trust of them and trust within the team. I think that that leads directly to having higher psychological safety, uh, which leads to higher engagement, higher productivity, which ultimately leads to happier customers, higher profits, whatever you want to call it, whatever the business is, is after high value. But how do we measure that? How do you measure 
building trust in a team? How do you measure psychological safety in a team? So I read a book years ago that was talking about social contracts. And when we think about, and yes, this is my legal brain coming back. (laughs) (laughs) So when you think about a normal contract, like you buy a phone, you'll see this 20, 30 page document, you'll skim it and you'll completely ignore it. Um, Or you'll start a new job and you'll effectively do the same thing because you're just going, I'm trading my time for money, the end. Social contracts are what kind of drives a group's dynamic. And I think that's one of the areas where a scrum master has huge value because they can bring to light what the actual behaviours and expectations and norms in a group are rather than what we simply think they are or what we say they are. So it's one thing to sit there and have a group that goes, yep, I, we promote work-life balance. And then you see everyone working at their desks at 10 p.m. or sending emails at midnight or weekends because then you've got this effectively incongruence. And that, that conflict or that cognitive dissonance is where you end up with that breakdown because then people are trying to fight this, this is who I should be, but this is who I want to be and this is what I think I'm meant to be and they don't know where to go. Uh, so I think a scrum master has this incredible potential where if they are authentic and they are curious about the team that they're working with and they get to know the nuances of each individual, then they can bring to light, whether it's through workshops and sessions or just general discussions, what the team actually expects. So Jordan with our team did a great exercise on meeting expectations um, because there was this expectation that was just never vocalized that was well we all have to come to every meeting that we're invited to and as soon as you sit there and you go actually we don't what do we want and what meetings do we actually think we even need as meetings then it gives you an opportunity to go oh well that doesn't actually serve us and this is what we want for our team so you kind of manage to overcome that incongruence or Jordan did an incredible exercise on trust recently as well and I'm, I'm guessing you guys have probably spoken about this one. Mm. Um, but that was really brilliant because when you get people to talk about it and you stop it from just being the assumptions that everyone has in the back of their heads, then you build that trust because it's everyone working together, working towards the same thing. And you end up with this much more coherent, focused group with the psychological safety that means that they're not panicking about everything in the background, second-guessing, self-sabotaging, and they're actually able to do what they were hired to. Yeah. They, they talk about the work rather than talking about how things are, exactly. are going. Exactly. Yeah. You end up with a lot less gossip and a lot less complaints, and you start working out how can we do it better. Okay. That's nice. Uh, Jordan, do you have anything you wanted to add right now? Oh, I, I just mean- think I, I need to have you on the episode more often. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but to, to your last point there as well, you, you mentioned that you have less gossip and less complaints. And I think those are a couple of good measurements to your question, Adam. How do you measure trust? Can we go deeper? What, 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 are, some other, what are some other things that we will see when trust is increasing in the team? Um, so, yeah, I think, can you tell I went on a slight tangent? <laughs> that was great. I loved um, it. Yeah, I think in terms of metrics for trust, you, you've got things that are immediate, such as being able to measure gossip, measure complaints. Um, there's, there's a great concept called um, unobtrusive indicators where you're not looking at what people say but what they actually do. And that's a, something that I definitely do here, where you're looking at 
how long does it take us to complete the work? Or one initiative I rolled out a while ago was around um, opportunities for improvement. So I'd have the number of OFIs that got reported and I'd track that on a monthly basis. And admittedly, it was tied to incentives and um, targeted different uh, things, but they're different metrics that you can have for, for shorter term trust monitoring. And then I think in the longer term, you'd be looking at things like turnover rate. You'd be looking mm -hmm. at how many people are coming into your team by referral mm -hmm. uh, because, or even That's things true. like sharing content. So what kind of stuff are people talking about in the group? What kind of stuff are they posting on social media? Because if they're proud of what mm -hmm. they're doing, that's telling you that there's psychological safety there. Mm. Another thing that I, I really enjoy doing and it takes me away from work is playing tabletop role-playing games. Amazing. Um, like Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. When uh, we get a new group together, we do what's called a session zero and we kind of lay down the ground rules of how this group is to behave. You know, are we? Is it a group that's going to run around just uh, murder hobering, hoboing a bunch of kobolds and goblins all the time, or are we actually going to be a bit more um, nice to the creatures that they <laughs> encounter along the way? That kind of, you know, put put in put in those boundaries uh, around what what we do and don't do as a as a group of people. That is fantastic. I love that. Very similar, very similar to social contract type type thing with a team, um, which kind of leads me on to a bit more about gamification. Mm -hmm. uh, and you've you've written an article on a bit on that. Um, Great segue, Adam. <laughs> I'd love to explore because I, I'm also thinking, how do I bring my love of tabletop role-playing into the workplace? And oh, definitely. Like video games, you know, you level up once you've done a certain amount of things in, in video games and you, also, you, you level up as a scrum master. You've, you've run 10 different retros and, and you now know that stuff and you level up. Yep. But how do we, how do we bring, that, bring that to life? Um, um, so gamification is something that I think I stumbled upon by accident quite like you where I, I don't know, I think I always loved playing games and I always found that that having fun was the way to, to overcome any sort of fear. Um, and so I came across gamification as a concept probably a couple of years after I'd been applying it. So one of the things that I did, like I guess with gamification, it depends on what your intention is. So if you want a short-term behavior change, it's a really good way to incentivize it, turn it into a norm, and then they just adopt it ongoing. Uh, so one thing that I did was uh, I think I'd said about the, the environmental initiative. And so I, I had in that instance split a couple, like I split the office of 200 people into six groups and I taught them what they needed to put in each bin and I would walk around and check what was in the bins and turn it into a game. And I made it a little bit silly and I made it a bit fun and I'd send them out reports so that they could see how each group was scoring relative to the others. Um, and then I guess one of the things that Jordan will know and every other team I've worked with would know is that I'm quite known for brownies. So I incentivize them with a morning tea. And it's things like that that make it fun. Yeah. Um, but in, in the longer term, I think the biggest caveat that I'd say with realistically anything fun in the workplace is that people need to choose it. 
because mm. if you force fun on them, it's going to backfire. Yeah. Um, but if they can see benefit for themselves and they're choosing to do it so that there's not going to be consequences of, oh, I have to do these other hundred things and you're taking away from it, then it can be really useful because it works really well when you're trying to motivate someone to do something that they already want to and it's just to overcome that fear barrier. Mm. Um, so, I think Jordan was talking about uh, chess in, in one of your recent episodes mm -hmm. and chess is a really great illustration of that too because it's looking at how do I get better yeah. and that's, that's one of the core things in gamification is how do I keep getting better and how do I keep motivating myself? So, what kind of reward? Uh, there's a great book called Hook, uh, Hooked by Nireal and he talks about uh, using effectively gamification to change your habits. And I think that's probably one of the best ways to do it because if you do it as competition, it can work really well, but it can also have limits where if you start pegging one group against another, then you just need to be careful of who, who you're working with. So, I would usually do like a two-pronged approach and have part of it that's intrinsic motivation. So, how am I doing relative to how I was before? Uh, and then others who are looking at, well, how's my group going relative to another? Mm. Um, in terms of how you actually integrate it, I think as much as COVID's thrown a spanner in the works in a lot of areas, a lot of gamification initiatives are already online and there's some amazing tools out there. So, things like having badges or quests are really, really good because we're hunter-gatherers, like we're, we're programmed to go looking and foraging and see what we can find. And I think, uh, so one of the articles that I think Jordan was referring to was a really absurd one that I wrote about chestnuts because I was in London and I went to a park and a friend of mine was showing me which trees were the good chestnut trees and which ones were the chestnuts that were horse chestnuts that were poisonous. And I'm like, okay. And so you go foraging around the forest floor and the chestnuts are in these giant spiky conkers. So you try and pick it up and it's going to hurt you if you're not careful. So there's the element of danger or excitement, which is also really important, which I'm sure you, you are well across with the Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> but that's what keeps it exciting is changing, changing the reward, changing uh, what, what the danger is, what the quest is, so that it keeps progressing with a person's development. So, yeah, it's, I think it's used a lot in in motivating new behaviours. So, learning development has been utilising different ways to have like badges or your 70% mm. complete. Uh, LinkedIn is a great example of that. If ever you have a profile that's not 100% done, they will tell you about it uh, because it's, mm. it's nagging on that. I don't like incomplete. So, yeah, looking, looking at a lot of social media platforms will give you great ideas for how to gamify work. We'll have people... Uh Dancing in the aisles and doing TikToks. <laughs> I'm really keen know. to see. It was, yeah. I did that. I had you one training session where I <laughs> um, wrote up scenarios to teach them about different kinds of injuries. And so, I took injuries that had actually happened in the workplace, made them a little more exciting, got a bunch of props and would drag people up on stage. But it's playing hmm. and they learnt. Nice. <laughs> I'm keen to see to Dungeons and Dragons uh, in Scrum, Adam. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm, Can I join I'm, that session? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll all be there. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. It's a, it's a, it's an idea at the moment. There's not. Much, I think it's great because it. it brings another part of you to it, and mm. especially when it comes to like ideation and innovation, it's not the things that are stock standard part of your job that that bring something to light. It's oh, I saw this idea somewhere else, mm. and I think that's a great way to translate another part of who you are into what you do. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, the badge thing also takes me back to when I was a scout. Yeah, you, know, you do a diff- you do a first aid thing, and you get a badge. Yeah, collect a- them all. Yep. That's why Pokemon yep. was so successful. Pokemon, collect, mm. <laughs> collect them all. That's it. I see that our time is dwindling away. You know what? I'm really glad that you can see that as well because I always think it's the host. <laughs> the host is the only one that can see it, and then I'm thinking, how am I going to let you know? Do I write it on a piece of paper and put it up in front of the camera? <laughs> Is that going to screw up our YouTube videos? Who knows? So I'm so, I'm really glad that uh, Zoom has um, progressed. <laughs> mm. So how do we want to finish up? Is there any other Adam? Have you got? We've spoken about gamification, and it's just it's just um, sparked my mind. Going, oh, how can I bring gamification more into teams? Just because it'll be fun. Obviously, I've got to think, if, is it the right thing to do for my team? But also, can I get it in there? Um, have you got any other questions around that or, or anything else for Michelle, Adam? Uh, well, the thing that's going around in my head at the moment is, you know, when, when you do level up or whatever it is in a video game, you get that little, that badge and that 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 noise of the, you know, jingling coins or whatever it is that you, that you get. Um, like a celebration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it is, and you get that. I'm not sure which hormone it is, but you get a hit of hit of something, some sort of happy hormone. You know, I achieved a thing, mm-hmm. and now I'm I'm stronger or smarter or more knowledgeable or whatever it is. Um, I'm going to take away the piece that it has to be pulled, not pushed. Mm. Yep. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, it won't work. So, yeah, maybe check with the team before you start doing that kind of thing. But I think also at the same time, have a chat to them to see what motivates them, because mm-hmm. the yeah. kinds of rewards that you use in gamification will be shaped by your team. It's exactly mm-hmm. what Jordan was talking about. So, if if you have a team that needs a pat on the back, or you have a team that needs, um, I don't know, I so when I did the OFI one they had the option to choose what they wanted as the reward. Uh, Some of them wanted it to go in the newsletter. Some of them wanted it to go up into a town hall meeting. Some just wanted the managing director to go, well done, I chose Mm. your piece. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you can work out what actually motivates your team, whether that's intrinsic or extrinsic, that's a really good way to keep them going. Um, but then also be careful about the size of, of the reward because if it's too big, then you're going to end up with this disconnect. And similarly, if it's too small, it's just not going to work. Yeah. So, yeah, have a chat and see mm. what they're interested in. It could be brownies. It could be brownies. <laughs> it, it just makes me think it's such a great opportunity for scrum masters or servant leaders or whoever's, whoever's integrating this into teams um, to be so creative. And I just think, what a great opportunity if, you, if you've hit a wall or if you hit a ceiling, you know, you, you feel like uh, you're going through the motions as a scrum master. What a great opportunity to be create creative and, and work out what drives the team and see if you can, yeah, really step it up to the next level. Uh, cool. Well, well, hey, we've got three minutes left. So, we need, to, we need to wrap this up, although I wish we could talk for another hour or so. <laughs> um, <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much for being online with us. 
how can people listening to you or uh, reading your articles, where can they find them? How can they follow you? Um, best bet for now is probably just look me up on LinkedIn. I try and publish something every so often. So you'll see a bunch of random articles on a range of topics that I'm interested in around, I guess, the people side to, to business. Uh, so I think it's Michelle Holzman at, uh, at the LinkedIn handle. Yep. And we'll, we'll put that link in the description. We'll put the link well. in there. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank mm. you. Mm. Awesome. Well, it's uh, really fun. Yeah. Really yes, fun. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. Uh, it's great. Well, we're going to have to have you on again another time as well. Thank you right. for having me. Yeah. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch you next week. That was a really fun episode to record. I hope you enjoy it and share it with your friends because we will be sharing it as well as as far as we can. Uh, You can reach us at awakenagile at gmail.com. Please send us more emails. We love to read them. Uh, You can also reach us on LinkedIn, Jordan Bailey and Adam Murray. And uh, we'll see you next week. Have an awesome weekend and week ahead. See you next time. Bye for now. Welcome back to Awaken Agile. Every I just I just clapped my hands while I did that. What a stupid thing to do because of it's recording. That was such a fun episode to record. What are you laughing, man? Just go on mute. <laughs> Sorry. What are you doing? All right. Now now I'm going to have to continue on and tell you a joke. Okay. Going on the theme of the Olympics and what uh, what sport would you play if you could play any sport? And a scrum master piped up and said, I'd play rugby because I'm really good in scrum. Yeah. <laughs> not a joke. That's, is that, that's not funny. You're not laughing now. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just saw it coming. I suppose if I didn't see it coming, <laughs> it would be funny. Yeah. I didn't see, I didn't see that coming. Uh, really? Right. He did apologise immediately, and so that was very bad. So he, he won points for best worst joke of the day. Bye, Adam. Smash the thing and hit the, hit the <laughs> smash hit the, the hit the likes. What did you say last time? Do the TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> Do the TikToks. Oh god. <laughs> Do the TikTok. How do your kids respond to you? <laughs> my my I so when do I see my daughter, I see my daughter on the phone, and I I just say to her like, "How are the TikToks going?" <laughs> she, just, she just she just rolls her eyes like, you know, "You're such an idiot, Dad." <laughs> Oh, I, I, I have to do it on purpose now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's the TikToks? <laughs> you're up. You're up to date with the TikToks. <laughs> My dad used to say when I was on Facebook Messenger all the time, he'd be like, "How's the MSG going?" <laughs> MSG. I'm like, "Dad, it's not MSG." <laughs> MSG. Uh, yeah, I just got a message from your brother on the MSG. Facebook Messenger, Dad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the MSG. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Isn't that something you put in, in food? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, All right. Right. That was fun. Thank you.